Hey, just a moment, I'm gonna invite my good friend, Dr. Mike Full, to come and bring our first Christmas message um, of the season. Um, out of revelation of all books, it's such an amazing thing that we have the opportunity to, during this Christmas season, be reading together as a church family through the book of Revelation. Who would have ever thought that Revelation would have something to reveal to us? Get it? Revelation is revealing something to us. Get it? Revelation reveal. Revealing something to us about Christmas and about Jesus coming because the one who came is also the one who will be coming again. Amen? Sorry if I'm stealing any of your thunder, Mike. But I, wanted to, I just wanted to share one word before Mike comes and it's about next Sunday morning. Two or three times a year, we get both our English and our Spanish congregations together to worship together, to have this bilingual, amazing mixture of cultures and, and beauty and just love. It is so special, but it's more than just special and loving and yay, joyful. It is that, but it's more than that. This Wednesday night, this past Wednesday night, I was in prayer with a bunch of my friends right here, as we do each Wednesday night. You're invited to come at 6 p.m. and join us for prayer, because we're just leaning into the things that God has for us and listening to his voice and, and uh, interceding for our neighbors and our, our, our own homes and lives and our church. And God really put something deep in my, in my spirit that I shared with them at the conclusion of our prayer time. But I just wanna drop this in your spirit. When we get together, and I know there's more than just two languages represented in this room, but when we get together and we worship and we pray and we learn from God's word in both English and in Spanish, there is something I believe in the spiritual realm that is being shaken loose and is being something of God's kingdom presence is, is actually happening when we come together as different cultures and different language groups, different nations of origin, different skin tones and you know, just family representation. I believe there is something of spiritual dynamic and breakthrough when that happens. So I invite you next week to come and to worship with us both in English and Spanish. And then don't you like head for your car when the message is over, right? Because we are going to be sharing in this, this Christmas culture Sunday that represents, it represents our church, represents our two congregations, and it represents our city really well. And the whole idea be, between our behind Christmas culture is the food that you bring. Make sure it represents the culture you grew up with at Christmas time. Uh, you know, whatever that was in your home, whatever that was in your tradition, and because we do have people from many different cultural backgrounds, man, we're gonna have this international feast um, next week that you're gonna be helping to provide. So thank you for doing that. These are always very special times, but remember, it's more than just special. There's something of God's kingdom dynamic that is happening. So Great time to even invite friends and um, we'll have the kids in. It's gonna just be a very, very special time together next Sunday, so get ready for it. And now, without further ado, Mr. Revelation himself, 
Dr. Mike Fole, would you please welcome our good friend. Love you, Mike. Oh, I love that man. I think we should all agree and pray for him now in the spirit. I want to just do a couple things before we start today. We just talked a little bit about peace. I want to give you a word about what peace is. You ready? I think it's a prophetic word. I think it's a prophetic word for this congregation, and I think it's a prophetic word for us to take as people of this congregation to the people of our streets and our neighborhoods in this season. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but the settled assurance that because Christ is in our heart and because Christ is on his throne, everything's going to be okay. Peace is not the absence of conflict. But it's the settled assurance because Christ is in our hearts and Christ is seated on his throne in heaven where he, he lives to make intercession for us. He's praying for us even right now. Everything's going to be okay. Right? Last night when the streets of Santa Maria were filled, may I suggest to you there were there were deeper things going on there than just people coming to celebrate the arrival of the Advent season. I was telling Danny this just before the service began, that there is something marvelous about Advent, amen? We just, we love the coming of Christ. We love to celebrate the coming of Christ. But let me suggest to you, a lot of those people there last night were drawn by a desire for hope. For hope, because in so many places, hope has eroded. And what we have as a message for this season and every season is the message of hope. That our God sent his son to live among us, to die for us, to be raised so that you and I can have newness of life and reign and rule with him forever. Amen? Amen. All right, I can sit down now. And, all, right. all right, before we before we get too far into today's message, and it's going to be from Revelation one. If you would like to find that in your Bibles, I want to talk to you a little bit about the transition. When when Pastor Tim called me, and by the way, again, Pastor Tim. Pastor Kelly, Pastor Lisa, all the pastoral team here. Uh, It's always an honor to come and stand in your pulpit. I am profoundly grateful for you, and I deeply love and respect you as fellow pastors, fellow under-shepherds of the kingdom of God. But before we we get into Revelation 1, I want to draw an immediate contrast between that which was and that which will be. Amen? When Jesus came the first time, he was veiled in the form of a baby. When Jesus comes again, every eye will see him. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. We marvel at the story of a star marking the arrival of the Christ child's birth and drawing, drawing the wise men 
to a place where they could present their, their gifts, gold and frankincense and more, which, which speaks to different issues and ages in the life of Jesus when he lived among us. But may I suggest to you that when Jesus returns again, all of heaven will be lit up by his glory. Not just one star, whatever that star was and whatever the name of that star was, not just one star, but the whole of the heavens will be lit up by his glory. And you and I, when he comes again and we go to be with him, we will begin to put crowns at his feet, not gold and frankincense and myrrh, but the incorruptible crown, the crown of glory, the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, whatever which ones he's given to us in this season of our life to mark our service for him, we're going to take those off of our heads and we're going to place them at the feet of Jesus because he alone is worthy to receive praise and glory and honor. And one of my favorite stories about the first coming of Christ, the first advent, is Mary and Joseph, after having traveled all those miles, and, and Kelly, you could probably understand this, having carried some children in your womb for a period of, of time. Can you imagine being on the back of a donkey for a significant number of miles ready to give birth to this child that you have been told is the Messiah, only to get to Bethlehem, which had been prophesied in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 to be the birthplace of the king, only to get there and to find what? No room in the inn. Dear ones, when Jesus comes again, he will step foot on this earth and he will rule and he will reign for a thousand years. And every, every place he goes is his because he created it in the first place. So we have the first advent. Jesus coming and being born of Mary. And then we have that 33 year period of time of his life marked by many tremendous events and significant moments. Ended, yes, on a cruel cross where he purchased your pardon for sin. He brought us into the family of God by the shedding of his blood and his blood will never lose its power, amen? His blood will never lose its power. And then we have the ascension into heaven. I love that story in Acts chapter one where the, the, the disciples are standing there looking as Jesus is taking up from them. Yeah. Thinking, well, things are going to change now, yeah. right? And they did change because he sent the Holy Spirit, amen, to empower his church and to help us to live lives that bring glory to him and to take the gospel to the far reaches of the world, the good news of the hope that we have. And that's where Jesus is today, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, ever living to make intercession for you. And then, of course, we point in the prophetic calendar, we point to a period of time when, and we don't know when, but I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting to you it could be imminent, 
when Jesus returns and we will be gathered together in the clouds with him. And the word of God says in 1 Thessalonians 4, we will be with him forever. Oh, but there's more. And this is where we get to Revelation 1. All right? So open up your Bibles, if you will, and find verses 9 through 18 as I read it. And I'm going to be reading it from the New Living Translation. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. So let's just stop there for a second. Notice the connection that John makes immediately with readership. This is written about 90, 95 AD. Jesus had now been gone for about 60 years. And as we see in just a moment, we'll return again and become the focal point of Revelation chapter 1. But I want you to notice what, what John says about him. By the way, John lived to be about 100, which was amazing in that time when the life expectancy was nowhere near that, right? But I want you to notice what he calls himself. I am your brother, just as you are my brother and you're my sister because of our relationship with Jesus, amen? But we're also a partner in suffering. John is the only one of the 12 that did not die a violent death. Not that he did not have experiences in his life that were painful, but he was the only one who did not die a violent death. But he was exiled to this little island. And, and, there, and the Aegean Sea has many of these different islands. It's, it's in modern-day Turkey, by the way, if you're interested now. And this particular, you, you're going to love this contrast, this particular island, Patmos, about 10 miles wide, no more than six, 10 miles long, 6 miles wide, was a Roman penal colony. It's where they sent prisoners. You know, you and I were a prisoner at some point. But the Lord Jesus released us from our sin. Amen? And so when he speaks about being a partner in suffering, you and I understand that because some of us have suffered greatly for our faith, if not physically in persecution, in other ways. There's the connection that John is making with his readership here. And then he says, and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. And somewhere around the world today, there is a worship service being disturbed by people just because they're preaching the word about Jesus and people are giving their testimony about him. And our hearts are in a place of solidarity with them. Because we live in a country up till now that has promised us the freedom to gather together, amen, and to worship in the power of the Spirit and to be together for fellowship and to grow with each other in this place that God has called us and called us to be at church. It's not happening around the world, dear ones. Many of you know if you've been here and heard me have the privilege of teaching here before. Before pandemic, in fact, I got out of Cuba the weekend before the island got shut down for COVID. 
but I had been there four times in five years. And I will tell you that the church is alive and growing and thriving in the island nation of Cuba, but still under the threat of incredible persecution. You dare not talk to somebody as, as I'm walking down the street in Cuba. You dare not talk to somebody about Jesus because you don't know if you're talking about someone who's been an informant of the government. You need to know that when most of us today, those of us who are watching via these wonderful technological advances that we have here in our time, but you need to know that when you're preaching in some countries of the world, there's a microphone somewhere and they're listening to everything you say because anything you say that speaks of revolution, anything that you say that speaks to an overthrow of an existing godless government can bring you into a place of suffering. So I feel this connection with John. But then we get into verse 10. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Now, I believe that revelation is revelation. It's just one vision unfolding over a period of time. I also do believe, though, Revelation chapter 4 and 1, which you'll be reading this week in your 260 group, tells me that in chapter 4 and verse 1, which I believe begins the third and major section of the book of Revelation, going through chapter 22, that he was transported to be given a point in heaven to see that which was transforming before him. But he was in the spirit. It was the Lord's day. And then it says, suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see. And send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. A little editorial note here. Those were real churches in Asia Minor, today modern-day Turkey. They represented not just local churches, but I believe they represent in the way in which they are spoken to in those letters. They represent seven distinct periods of time of church history. If you, for example, how, uh, Revelation 2 was Friday, correct? Was it not in our reading? Smyrna, which is the second of the seven churches mentioned. Notice when you read it again this week, chapter 2, that in verses 8 through 11 of Smyrna, Jesus speaking to John, speaks to the issue of him having the keys to death and life, that him having power over the death and Hades. Why? Because in Smyrna, it represents a place of great suffering, great persecution. Many people were put to death in that church, in that city, in that time, simply for doing the same thing John said he had been exiled for, for preaching the word of God and giving testimony. Now listen to this one. This is staggering. That period of church history, which represents 150 years, 5 million people were martyred for the cause of Christ. 5 million. Isn't it important then that we understand that Jesus holds the keys to life and death? That Jesus is sovereign over death and Hades. But nevertheless, I was in the spirit on that day, John says. And then he says, I hear a loud voice behind me. Write what you hear me say to you in a book, everything you see. And then send it to these seven different churches. This is when it gets really fun. 
Revelation 1. I parked there a long time. I have to be honest with you. Yes, I read it on Thursday. Yes, we discussed it in our 260 group. In fact, I'm not too sure. Did we talk about anything other than Revelation chapter 1 on that, on that Thursday? It's a brilliant chapter. But here's what makes it brilliant. It's no longer little baby Jesus. Amen. It's not anymore the ascended Christ who went and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, even today. It's not the soon coming king of Revelation 19 who comes out of heaven on a white horse accompanied by the angels and having come out of his mouth a two-edged sword. This is so cool. We can't skip from this section, no, beyond this appearance. This is the glorified Christ. This is who you and I worship. Amen? This is who we worship. Little baby boy born in a manger, amen. Don't shout me down. I'm giving God glory for that. Amen. But little boy Jesus grew up and little boy Jesus gave his life on the cross as the man king and now sits by his father in glory, but he's coming again. Amen. And it just seems, it just seems that, that in the purposes of revelation being written, it just seems that father God spoke to his son and said, why don't you just go give John, the message I gave you about what's going to happen. And so Jesus shows up. Watch this now beginning. We're going to read through verse 16. When I turned, John, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. By the way, Son of Man is the title that Jesus used of himself more than any other title in the New Testament, 81 times. Someone like the Son of Man prophesied to be the Messiah in Daniel chapter 7, Ezekiel chapter 1. Someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered not like a trumpet, like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if we're dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. Amen. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Amen. Amen. So I'm waiting for that day when the Lord comes and he takes his church to be with him in glory. Amen. Can I get a witness on that? That will happen. I believe it could happen soon. I'm also excited about the fact that there will come a time when Jesus will come back out of heaven and bring judgment against Christ-rejecting nations and put himself in a position of being both sovereign ruler and king and lord for a period of time here on the earth before we go to spend eternity with him. But let's not miss this. Let's look at this real carefully. Here we go. You got the slides up there? All right, here we go. Number one. When he, when he turns around and he sees these golden lampstands, we're told later on in the book that the lampstands represent the church of Jesus Christ. 
And may I suggest to you that Santa Maria Foursquare is a modern day lampstand of the church of Jesus Christ. You exist, this place exists to proclaim I am the light of the world, says Jesus. No longer will those who follow me walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men that you might glorify God or that your good deeds might lead those who would observe them to glorify God in the day of his visitation. These seven gold lampstands represent the church, but I must say this to you, because we need to be very mindful as you read chapter 2 last Friday, as you read chapter 3 in Revelation tomorrow, be aware of the fact that judgment for Christ does not belong out on the street first. Judgment from Christ does not go to the halls of Congress first. Judgment from Christ does not go to the nations of the world that prohibit the free preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and enslave those and even execute those who would, in the face of that danger, have the boldness of our God to preach the good news. Judgment, dear ones, begins at the house of God. And why do I tell you that? Because this book starts with Jesus standing as I'm, I'm, these trees are now lampstands. And they, they encircle me. And it says that Jesus is in the center of the lampstands. Amen. What does that tell us? He's in the center of his church. Now fast forward to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. One of the most well-known, if not the most well-known verse in Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man would open up to me, I will come in with him and will have fellowship with him. Dear ones, before we clap for that, let's remember that he's now standing outside the very church that he purchased with his blood. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Here we go. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. This whole picture is of him as a priest, as a judge. The priests in that day in which Jesus lived, the priests that lived during the time of the Old Testament, who offered, if you will, sacrifices in the temple and in the tabernacle, and who led the people and so on and so forth, would often be characterized in the scripture by wearing a robe and having around them a sash. Here is the picture of our Jesus as the priest of his people. Second, I like this one now because this one speaks to some of the age that some of us are getting to. Can I get a witness? His hair and his head were white like wool, as white as snow. So don't color your gray. <laughs> <All right. laughs> In this case, what does this speak to? And this is significant because it'll give you an answer to people who will ask you, why is it you folks continue to speak that Jesus is God? Because here in this verse, the hair that is like wool, speaks of eternality. 
It speaks of an eternal God. And at the end of the first section of Revelation, when God is speaking, he says, I am Alpha and Omega, who is, who was, and is to come. And guess what? At the end of this chapter, or at the, or near the end of this chapter, Jesus will say, I am the first and the last. And his hair, as, and this is not a dull white, this is a blazing white, speaks of his eternality. He was, he is, and he is to come because he is God. Amen? Our God has a face. It's the face of Jesus. But it gets better. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. I would suggest to you that his eyes being like a flame of fire speaks to his all-knowingness, or let's use the, the proper theological term, that Jesus is omniscient. Just as God knows all things, so does Jesus. And let me tell you why that's important here. Because when you begin to read in Revelation 1, and you begin to read Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, and as you move forward in that book, which is so wonderful and breathtaking in what is going on, Jesus will always judge righteously his eyes being like a flame of fire our confidence rests in a god who would not judge capriciously who would not judge because he was having some kind of a bad day our god judges righteously based upon his character here we have the flame of fire enabling him to judge who searches by the way chapter 2 and verse 23 who searches the hearts and minds how many times when you read in 260 this year Matthew Mark Luke and John and by the way the brilliance of that has never been lost to me have you ever noticed that the gospel was given to us once a quarter so we were constantly being connected with with the Lord Jesus amen it's really important that we understand that the reading of the gospels should not be a check off the box Right? It should be something we go back to over and over and over again so we don't lose touch point with Jesus. But I want to suggest to you here that when it speaks about his eyes, there's a passage. Have you ever noticed how many people will quote John 3.16 and not quote John 3.17? Have you ever noticed how people will quote verses that are really well known? For example, Hebrews 4.12 says that his word is living and active amen and it pierces and divides soul and spirit and so forth and so on we i love that verse right because the word of god is alive amen it's not some document that we have to dust off and read just simply as history no his word is alive and it transforms us and makes us look more like jesus but you know verse 13 it says that of hebrews 4 it says that we must give an account for all that we do because Jesus is aware of such. He sees it all. Amen. Now that might be frightening to some of us, amen. He sees it all. You are under the blood if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you have been forgiven. Next one. 
His feet were like polished bronze, speaking of his judgment of the church. His feet were like polished bronze, refired in a furnace. When the, when the temple was in operation, when the priests went in to offer a, a, a sacrifice for sin, the altar was made of bronze. And so you have that picture again for us here. Third, the bronze. Fourth, now, and his voice thundered like many ocean waves. Throughout the Bible and throughout the book of Revelation, dear ones, when you read that the voice thundered, it usually signifies something important that is going to come. It's almost like when, when God's voice is said to thunder or Christ's voice is said to thunder, it's a, be careful, don't miss this. He's going to say something of significance, of high meaning. It also suggests his authority. That the word of God is our authority. Dear ones, I grew up and just... I'm going somewhere with this. Don't see this as a rabbit hole. I grew up in a mainline denomination church, not Foursquare. But I grew up in a mainline denomination church that at one point in America was the second largest denomination in this country, over 14 million people. In this year alone, 6,000, almost 7,000 churches have left that denomination because they are now a part of a denomination who does not believe that the word of God is the final authority for his church. And they're losing their property, but they're gaining something more significant than the church building in which they worship. They're gaining the approval of God Almighty. Because if you and I don't contend for the authority of the word of God, who will? Who will contend for the authority of God's word? Heaven and earth, he says, will pass away, but my word will what? Never pass away. Moving on in our text this morning. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He holds seven stars in his right hand. Right hand is the place of honor in scripture. In fact, some of you know somebody with the first name of Benjamin. Amen. Any of you know somebody, somebody in your family with the name Benjamin? It means son of my right hand. Here, the right hand is symbolizing Jesus as, if you will, sitting at a place of honor, but holding the authority and the control of the church in his right hand. He is the head of this church. Amen. He is the shepherd of this church. In his good counsel and mighty wisdom, he has installed those two people and Lisa and some of the other, Kaylin, and all these people who make up the pastoral team here were installed as under shepherds in this church. But you know who leads this church? He's got two names. Amen? Jesus Christ. <laughs> right? You want to call him Jesus of my Messiah? You just go right ahead. He is the head of the church. Amen? He is the head of the church. Holding, if you will, the seven stars who are the messengers or pastors or leaders of the church in his hand. 
and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord, dear my friends. But judgment's going to come upon the nations of the world too. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. That when Jesus Christ comes on a white horse with a robe that has a name on it that no one knows except him. And a sword comes out of his mouth. That sword will be aimed in judgment, not at believers, but those nations of the world and those people of the world who have mocked him, who have not bowed before him, who have never come to a place of faith. And dear ones, that's what we exist to do. We want to make sure that our role, our function, our, our giftings all play into telling people about Jesus, telling people about the offer of salvation, telling people about the author of hope. I want to remind you of something that's elsewhere in the text, not in Revelation, but in the Gospels, where Jesus says that hell was never prepared for people. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. The book of Jude tells us to snatch some from the very pit of hell. Amen. Till the very last breath somebody draws, there is the opportunity for us to share Jesus. My father is 95. He has an older brother. He has one of four. Both my father's younger brothers have died. My sole remaining uncle is 97 years old. And my father has been sharing with him. as They, they talk on the phone at least once or twice every day. And my father has been sharing with him the message of salvation, how even though this person had lived a life of being an avowed agnostic slash atheist for his entire life, my dad keeps holding out Jesus as the way to him. He had a stroke the other day. Not my dad, my uncle. Can't speak, struggles to understand, is in a neurological unit down in Orange County at a hospital. I'm telling you what, he's not beyond the reach of the Holy Spirit of God. And finally, his face like the sun is a reference to God's glory. This is why we call Jesus the exalted Christ in Revelation chapter 1. This is why we call him the glorified Christ. This is a reminder to us in Matthew, right, in chapter 17 of Matthew's gospel, where Jesus had Peter, James, and John with him up on the mountain, and he was transfigured before them, and his face became what? Like the sun in all its brilliance. Here you have a renewal of that. But here you have a sevenfold description of the glorified Christ. So let me just close today by asking you a question. Why? Why is this important? Why is it important that, that chapter 1 in the book of Revelation presents this image to us, this picture of Jesus in a glorified state and an exalted state? I'm going to suggest three things to you. Let's look at verse 17 for number one. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died. 
But look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Here's the first thing. It's found in verses 17 and 18. There's humility, humility in the presence of majesty. One of the chief virtues, in fact, I'm going to suggest to you that when you look at Jesus and all the different titles he gave himself, all the different ways in which Jesus spoke of himself. There's only one place in Matthew 11 where he doesn't use metaphorical language, where he doesn't use figurative language, when he says, I am meek and lowly in heart. One of the chief virtues, dear ones, that will attract people to the message of salvation that comes from us is you and I being humble people. You and I living a life of humility before God and before others. And here, as I spoke the last time I was here, I spoke to the issue in in Luke chapter 5, is when Peter throws out the net after fishing all night. You remember that sermon? Threw out the nets and the fish, there were so many fish that the net began to break and he called somebody else's boat over and so forth. And Peter's response was, depart from me for I am a sinful man. When we are in the presence of God, there's something that awakens in us the reminder of our need for humility because he is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is the glorious one who is yet to come. I love Christmas, though, the first advent. I love the story of Jesus, fully God and fully man. Amen? Fully God. Fully man. I love it. Let's not forget his humanity, amen? Let's not forget he was a little boy born in a manger. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget he was a man who walked the streets of Israel preaching good news. Let's not forget that he was a person who grew hungry and who grew tired and thirsted. He identifies with you in the human condition because he was a human being. He's also God. Amen. Second, I love this. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if we're dead. He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died. It's an historical fact of Easter. Amen. It's an historical fact of the Good Friday. Right? You go back to Good Friday and he died. He didn't swoon. He didn't faint. He died. But he rose again. All right? And when he rose again with a resurrected body, which prefigures the new body that you and I are going to get, amen? The death of death was accompanied in the death of Christ. I'll say that to you one more time, right? The death of death is in the death of Christ. And now he puts his right hand on the Apostle John and says, Don't be afraid. You know, Woody Allen, the American playwright, once wrote, I'm not afraid of dying, I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> well, good luck with that, right? Good luck with that. I, I don't fear death. Because I know what beyond that door. A life of eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, 
when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if we're dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Here's what I want to leave you with today. Not just in Advent, but every season. Not just in the month of December, but the rest of the year. We can have an incredible confidence in our God because he has proven himself to be faithful to his word. There are 333 prophecies in the Bible. 333 prophecies in the Bible about Jesus as the Christ. Jesus is the coming of the Messiah. 109 of those were fulfilled at the birth of Jesus Christ. One out of every 25 verses in the New Testament speak to the second coming of Christ. There are 46 people who were said to be prophets in the Old Testament. 36 of the 46 spoke about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Our confidence is in God's word. Our confidence is in the work that God did and began, not just in the incarnation, but in all that leads up to the sending forth of his son to be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, born of a woman, born under the law. All the things that you see that God did gives us confidence that God is not finished with us yet. He's not finished with his work yet. He's still building his church. Amen. And he's and for some unknown reason, he uses me to help build his church. I, I'm just grateful. I don't understand it. I'm just grateful. But let me just tell you, I think one of the greatest things about Christmas. When I come to a place where my faith is placed in little boy Jesus. When my faith is placed in the one who hung on a cross and bled for my sin. When I come to a place where he has been raised up to the right hand of his father and sent the Holy Spirit so we could be empowered to live the life that he wants us to live. When I come to a place where I get to Revelation chapter one and I read about his glorified, exalted being, when I come to a place when I read Revelation chapter 19, I am grateful for this, that God has given me a purpose for life. And yes, my purpose is to preach Christ, amen? But I have a purpose and you have a purpose. Because of prophetic fulfillment, we can trust God. Because we have the promises of God which have been made yes and amen in the person of Jesus, we can trust God's word. But we can trust God's will. Because dear ones, as Billy Graham once said, I read the last page in the book of Revelation and we win in the end. Amen. We win in the end. My passion, my purpose in life is to continue to hold out Jesus so that people can hear of his life, hear of his death, hear of the atonement found only in him and turn to him and be saved. And then to help them as pastors do and leadership does. Help them find their purpose and their passion. Help them understand the giftings and the call of God upon their life. Help to release them. 
We gather together, we grow together, and we do what? We go together. So that we can fulfill the purposes of God in our generation. Amen. Well, as the prayer team comes, and I'm going to ask uh, some of my 260 friends to take Danny, if you would, and Leonard, if you would, and Rich and Rodney, if you're here, if you would come as well. May I just close the message by saying this? There may be somebody here today who's visiting with us, and you have not yet come to a place of faith and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. I would plead with you to consider this exalted Christ as being the same Christ who gave his life for you, that you can come into a place of new life with him. But I also want to remind you of this. These are people up here who are ready to pray with you for any reason at all. Struggle in your life, struggle in some relationship, struggle with your finances, struggle with some diagnosis, whatever it is. Little boy Jesus now sits at the right hand of his father where he ever lives to make intercession for his people. Nothing escapes his notice and no prayer doesn't hit his ear. Amen. So pastor, come close for us and then we'll allow these dear saints here to be here to pray. Lord, for the revelation of what is to come and the revelation of what is. Lord, because we worship you as the one who came. But Lord, we are now seeing you more clearly as who you are. So Lord, how could we be any different than John who fell on his face? in recognition of this is the God of the universe. So Lord, our hearts, Father, are broken by this, but Lord, we also hear your words. Do not be afraid. Lord, you are the one that we can turn to with all hope, Lord, for our life in you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Church family, I am so blessed that we get to walk through the Christmas season looking at these revelations of Christ and we get to do it together. Hey, if you need prayer before you leave, please come and receive prayer. If there's any place in your story where you are living in fear, fear of the unknown or fear of like, man, God is not happy with me. Let's get that taken care of. Come to the righteous one. And, and I'm telling you, these uh, friends up here are gonna pray with you, pray for you, and see breakthrough in Jesus' name. And on your way out, we have tins for you to come back with next week, all filled up, filled with your culture and uh, represented through the food that uh, you celebrate with in your home at Christmas time. Look forward to sharing that with you next Sunday. It's gonna be great. Church, you are loved. Go in his power, go in his grace, go in his favor. Merry Christmas.